Hi, I'm James Chow, and you're listening to The China Current, a storytelling experience that brings you up close with the people shaping our shared global future. Kamala Fischbacher, it's an enormous pleasure to be able to see you for the first time, let alone to do this interview here in Hong Kong. So welcome back, because you lived here before, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did, from 1995 to 1997, and it was, uh, it's wonderful to be back. How has life changed, and has Hong Kong changed for you, if you look back in that mental Rolodex of 20 years? Well, uh, it definitely goes back uh, far into my early uh, time as a uh, married woman and a young woman starting my career. And um, Hong Kong is, is changed in so many ways and in some ways hasn't. Um, it's easily recognizable, but I also felt yesterday when I um, arrived as I came to the airport, it's like stepping into the future. I mean, if you live in Europe and you land in Hong Kong, just the airport, um, you realize, oh my goodness, it's a world happening at a different level. Um, the buzz, the the excitement, the way the advertisement is done. I mean, it's it's really impressive. Is that linked to China? Is that linked to Asia more widely? It's probably a combination of both. I mean, Hong Kong was was futuristic in '95 when I when I went there. I, I have a feeling that I was back about 10 years ago, and I felt Hong Kong seemed to have sort of stood still for a while and got a little insecure and I don't feel that anymore. I feel there's this 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 pulse back, this um, direction. And I, I can't tell you what it is. I'm just feeling uh, speaking from my feeling. I just feel sort of an energy, a pulse that's back. I ask you about Hong Kong not only because you've lived here before, but because you have an intrinsic relationship with Asia. Anyone who has been to your home or visited it visually through the pictures that you can find online, it's been covered in a number of newspapers and magazines in the last year or two especially. But anyone who's seen what you collect, what you live with more simply, understands that Asia and for you and your husband, Michael, that there is a special relationship. Um, absolutely. I mean, um, it starts, as you said, uh, going back um, with even the family's history. So my husband, Michael's um, great-grandfather, already traveled in the 1930s to Asia. And um, we have those very photo albums of his travels, and it's just magical to see that part of the world. Um, I think through modernization, the world is looking more and more similar. And in those days, you really saw the different cultures and how separate they were from each other. And um, then there's just the beauty of art and creativity. And uh, uh, well, I mean, where do you even start? Asia is a huge continent with so much to offer. And um, I think you cannot help but be um, influenced by um, the rich culture that comes from there. Of your husband's great-grandfather, he has a shelf of leather-bound albums in your sitting room. And one of them says, my holiday, my vacation with the year. And it was this world tour that I think he undertook in that particular year where the China pictures are 
found and placed. Uh, those pictures are extraordinary, even for me as someone of Chinese descent. Whereabouts do you travel now in China and in Asia? Well, in China, mainly Beijing and Shanghai.、Um, again. It's not necessarily、uh, that I wouldn't want to travel to other places, but that's where we have、um, representation. There are、uh, connections there, and there are projects. So, because we're involved with interior design,、um, working directly with architects, we would then be, of course, naturally interested in big cities that are being、uh, built. Shenzhen, of course, as well. So much going on. I mean, it's it's booming. And what's really interesting about China, in particular, is how quickly they went from perhaps copying designs to creating their own. And that's because they have an enormous wealth of their own creativity.、Um, and and you really see a difference there in a culture that has always been doing art or creating things. Even if they have a setback as a as a revolution or the Cultural Revolution, where things were tried to to、um, let's say、uh, erase a history, very quickly people will、um, come back to their own heritage, and you really see that in the difference the way China has、um, immediately the new age of designers and architects that are coming out. They're doing their own work based on their own architecture. It's not just mimicking what the West is doing. And that's I find very very strong. When you think of Chinese design, what motifs come to mind? I mean, there's a, the the classic cliches of the chrysanthemum or or certain architectural finesses. Like I immediately think of an angle, a certain angle,、um, a woodwork, lacquer work of stone.、Um, there's something quite distinct <coughs> in、uh, in Chinese design. That、um, you can see as influenced societies throughout the ages, the Chinoiserie movement、um, that happened、um, in, let's say, the 1800s, and, and there's also variation. I mean, it comes again and again, right? You have you have people、um, influence.、Uh, Klimt was very influenced by、um, the Japanese painting of the irises, which of course is very very strongly influenced by Chinese art. So you'll see these layers of,、um, I think, complementing each other. The, the the West is impressed by the East. The East is impressed by the West, and in turn, we play ping pong, and each time develop something new. What I've noticed, and it goes back to what you said earlier about confidence, is that I find that designers in China. And also, designers of Chinese descent who are part of the diaspora, living outside in America, especially also in the UK, that there is a newfound confidence and security in what their own culture brings to the global table.、Um, and I find that that, in a way, is also linked to globalization, but also as part of that natural process, as you said, of shedding and then. Rediscovering what's been revealed、Absolutely. beneath that,、mm. you are part of、um, some great civilizations yourself. From your father's family,、uh, the Persian civilization.、Yes. Um, you were born in、uh, the States, in New York. Am I right? No, no. I was born in Tehran, in Iran. Are you born in Tehran? Yes. Your mother's American. Your、My、father's Iranian. Yes. You lived first in Iran before. Moving to Switzerland, correct, because、yes. of political conditions in Iran at the time. But you, of course, identify very much with being American as well. Absolutely, yes. 
what happens at globalization? How does it affect design and art and what great companies like you create? Well, I think it just starts off with having your eyes open. And if your eyes are open, um, you don't feel that you need to necessarily stick to one look or another, but rather as you walk through the streets, as you travel, um, as you open books, you are, you become humble to realize that everything you think that you're discovering has already been discovered. You're just doing a new interpretation of it. And um, I think that's the most important thing is that you realize that all civilizations have had their ups and downs. And to judge any civilization by the measure that we have today is just not understanding history. Um, and uh, I'm, of course, strongly influenced by my own cultural heritage, being Iranian, um, but also as an American, which is that melting pot. So I think uh, the dream of America that continues to interest people is the mix. I think what's the problematic is when you then want to replace people's history and erase it and say, okay, now you're American and there's nothing else. And I think what's really great about America is all of the different influences and all of the different people who came with their dreams there. And um, I would say if you're talking about design influence or, or look influence, it's, it's a strange thing to, to pinpoint why are we all looking at jungle motifs right now, for example. You see it everywhere. You see it in clothing, we have it on wallpaper, we have it on our, on our um, uh, curtains, on bed linen. I think because we're realizing how precious nature is. Uh -huh. And that's just a feeling in the air right now. Uh, it doesn't mean that another motif is not relevant. It's just there's something that's in the air because we're realizing that certain things are precious. And I think that's where you see in other ages, like I mentioned the chinoiserie of the 19th century, so the 1800s, was again, they, they came across sometimes for the first time, even though we've had contacts, of course, throughout the ages, through the Silk Road. It's that particular group of people had a contact with, um, let's say, design, and they would, uh, from China, but they would also mix it up and take something Japanese and think it's Chinese. And I used to get very irritated when people would mix those things up. Um, but I realize now it's not a lack of interest. It's maybe looking at something with new eyes and not necessarily caring the history about where it came from. I always need to know where it's from, but that's just my thing. <laughs> but also That's your another, respect for history. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're originally an art historian, aren't you? Exactly, exactly. And so I need to know where did that design come from? And I'll become pedantic to the point where I will argue that the Paisley, yes, it's called Kashmir because that's where the English discovered it. But actually, the Paisley design is a tree of life who came from Iran. I didn't know that. There you go. And, of course, people become very, uh, very well, that's what inspired I'm your wearing tie. a Paisley <laughs> motif on my tie today, which actually was there my father's. But also, you're wearing yes. a, a lovely half coat with um, a nature motif, a nature-inspired motif on it as well. Um, when I think of the United States, I, I think of America and China as being very similar in some ways for very, very different reasons. And I find their young people in their major cities so incredibly dynamic, mm. interactive, engaging. And every time I leave, for example, New York and even Washington, maybe especially Washington, I feel so motivated and re-energized and recharged. And I get that same feeling when I go to Beijing 
and especially I would say when I go to Shenzhen right across the border from Hong Kong. What I think though is that they are built from very different roots. You talk about the melting pot of immigration that has come to shape America into this beautiful culture. And of course, it wasn't the same for China, which is much more homogenous in comparison in terms of immigration. But that melting pot of globalization, as China continues to try to progress itself, and not thinking about politics, but thinking about young people, thinking about artists and designers and craftsmen and artisans, what would you say they should keep in mind in terms of trying to chart a plan for their life forward as creators? How should they take advantage of what's happening around and from them? I mean, I think the key is what I started off with, which is walk with your eyes open and, and look around you and, and, really, and really see um, what are the new movements. And I, and I can't always explain where I get an idea from. People always ask me, well, where'd you get that idea from? Um, it, it, obviously not in the air. But it's somehow uh, through trend seminars that we go to, through gatherings, um, exchanging ideas with like-minded people. I think for designers, be they in, in Beijing or, uh, or if they are in, in um, Hong Kong or if they're over in New York, also our designers sitting in St. Gallen, Switzerland, um, the world is open through the Internet. Like that's the, change, the game changer. Um, our newest design which is called Newtopia, and uh, is this, this sort of uh, palm trees in a, in a perfect world, a fantasy world that we've created. All of the design elements we uh, downloaded from the Rijksmuseum, the New York Public Library, because they've opened up their archives. In, in, in sharing this with the world, they say, use these um, information. You know, don't steal it. Take it. We're giving it to you. Um, the only thing you need to do is come back and show us how you used it. And this has opened a plethora of design and interests. And if you see, we went from very, very plain things, let's say the 90s were very, very puristic, no design, no pattern, to small little designs, and now everything's exploding. If you look in fashion, um, you know, people are wearing entire artworks on their, on their clothing. And, and again, that's because you're able to inspire yourself, and I think maybe that's the thing that's, that's opening up all of us to each other. I have to say congratulations for Christian Fischbacher turning 200 years old in 2019. And maybe <laughs> this is your moment, I was thinking, with color coming back. And it's not that Fischbacher is this explosion, this random explosion of color. In, in, in many ways, I always think of it as the ultimate precision in quiet refinement. And your company, as we know, was the first to create a home collection with a fashion brand, which was Versace back in the 1990s. You've a made 1980s. 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 You've 85. made a huge contribution to the world of fashion, and within that, the very select world of haute couture as well. You have influenced art in all its many beautiful forms. What comes next in the 201st year? Well, we're in the 200 year, and um, I think what comes next is a continuation of, um, well, designs and patterns, 
as you're saying, that this is our time. Um, the 60s and 70s were uh, very, very prosperous for us um, and uh, because we're really known for prints and pushing, pushing the limit on design. And uh, we've even had some revivals of some designs we did in the 70s. We were like, wow, they dared to do that then. And, and I think people are bolder again. There's, a, there's an optimism. Uh, there, you need to be optimistic when you, when you wear a very uh, large printed dress or that you dare to print uh, a fabric and put it on your, on your window, not with a little mimosa and something delicate, but, you know, a big statement, something, something like that. Um, but I think a key element that is different is the awareness of this sustainable message. And um, I actually started the first Be New uh, collection, which is our recycled collection, exactly 10 years ago. So uh, n with no thoughts that soon we're going to be, t you know, 200 years old and blah, blah, but rather it just made sense for me to create a fabric made out of recycled plastic bottles. But when I did it 10 years ago, it was definitely a novelty. Most people shook their heads and many people, I even had the comment like, well, nobody wants your garbage. And I thought, well, yeah, that's exactly it. We need to stop making things and throwing them away. And a truly sustainable thing is to buy good quality. Because if you buy something for a cheap thrill and throw it away, it don't matter how cheap it was, it is too expensive. Because it's expensive for the environment and for the rest of us. And then what you just said about sustainability is uh, so critical for everyone in America, in China, in Europe, particularly in China where the emissions are so great still, mm -hmm. but where there is also an awareness amongst people, young people, not so young people, that they have to get going and going forward. It's a great pleasure speaking with you, and I think we're about to go off and do a video, so that's going to be really fun. Okay, great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Kamla Fischbacher, thank you very, very much. Thank you, James.